Thanks for downloading this episode of Cork Talk with me, Tim Atkin. A weekly conversation with some of the most famous people in the world of wine. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Nomacork by Vinventions. Driven by a commitment to innovation, the new plant-based Nomacork Green Line offers significant improvements in wine closure performance. Thanks to a rigorous oxygen ingress rate, you can decide which cork is best for your wine, whether it's for young and fresh wines or for those with ageing potential. Interviewing Christoph Hamel is a lot of fun. Sometimes described as a cellar cabaret artist, he brings a theatrical flourish to everything he does. Our fascinating chat covered the climate and soil types of his native Falz, his long-term relationship with South Africa, his love of Riesling and Sauvignon Blanc, his plans to revive the fortunes of Liefraumilch, and an insight into the wines they served in first class on the Titanic. Hello, Christoph, and welcome to Cork Talk. How are you? I am very fine. Uh, I'm very happy. Hello, Tim for this wonderful um, uh, opportunity to talk to you today. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually in the best mood, which is possible. <laughs> and you're in Kirchheim, aren't you? Which is where your family winery is and has been since, what, 1723, isn't it? That is, that is correct. So um, the winery was founded 1723. So we have our 300-year uh, anniversary this year. And it's a 10-generation uh, family here, um, the, the family business. So I'm the ninth and the tenth is in that second where we talk together in the cellar, busy pressing our last red wines, which have been nearly four weeks now, three and a half up to four weeks. It's Cabernet um, on the on the on the on the skins, and it's ready fermented now for going into the oak barrels. And uh, last day of pressing today, that is nice for all of us. <laughs> So you're in a good mood, right? Well, that's good to hear because there's lots to talk about with you on the on the podcast. I mean, I just wondered, was it always certain you joined the family business? You, you were the ninth generation. I've read that you were quite keen to go into the theatre at one point, weren't you? Yeah, that is actually clear. I had a, a hard discussion with my parents. You, you see, my parents um, were very conservative. I, I actually wanted to study theatre science. That was my big dream when I was young. But my parents said, at first, you have to learn something decent that you don't uh, end up under a bridge or something like this, like a poor actor or something like this. So, yeah. And then I said, okay, then I'm doing it. Um, and I fell deeply in love with that, with that, um, with that profession or whatever you will call it. It's, it's, it's more than a profession. It's a, it's a, it's a, ah, it's a feeling. It's, it's a super emotion. And because winemaking is not only pulling a pipe from left to the right or cleaning vets, it's much more. And the nicest thing is at the end of the day for me to meet all over the world, the nicest people in the wine business, mad people, super people with lots of emotions. They eat, they drink, they dance, they sing, they, they love life. And um, that's why uh, actually the whole wine business is a stage. So I feel at home. Well, because you're sometimes described as a cellar cabaret artist, which I like. I and mean, so there's still a bit of an actor in you, isn't there? I mean, the way you dance and the way you perform on your website. I mean, you have fun with wine, right? Yeah, of course. Um, on the other side, I must say, um, uh, you see, I'm, I'm responsible also here um, in the winery to make the jokes and keep the people in a good mood. And uh, I like that job. So um, uh, to, to say it like this, it's a little bit like a Monty Python show all the time here. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, but... 
at the end of the day, we shouldn't take life too serious. Um, it's, uh, yeah, we must take it serious. But on the other side, uh, we have to be human still. And this is um, a wonderful part in the, in the winemaking uh, as well. I mean, it's interesting that you talked about your father and your father saying to you, you've got to be a winemaker, not yet an actor or a theatre director. And that you were sent, weren't you, age 17, to Kloster Neuburg, uh, which yeah. is not in Germany, but uh, in Austria, near Vienna. Um, how was that time for you? I mean, you've described it as unhappy to the point of death at one point, but you changed yeah. your mind pretty quickly, didn't you? Uh, I mean, okay, I, I, I was I was nearly 18, not not already 18. Um, it's a it's a school, it's a wine, it's the oldest wine school in the world, by the way. Um, um, uh, founded in the middle of the 19th uh, century, and as a wine school, and um, I came there uh, to Vienna. And I still had a, had a girlfriend here in the dorm and this kind of thing. I was young, so I was crying a little bit. But um, I must tell you, uh, after I have learned to speak Austrian German, which is also an own language, um, uh, after I have learned that, um, I think it's a little bit like somebody from London has to go to Wales, you know, you understand? So, um, so, so when I learned that, I was, uh, uh, I was very happy. The thing is, I made very quick friends. Um, there are two important things. My mother was a, a fantastic chef. She cooked really fantastic. And eating and drinking was always very, very important in our family. And I came to Vienna and Vienna is, is an international city. We have the UN there, the United Nations. It's, um, it's OPEC there. It's an international, uh, wonderful place, but with a big history. And it's the city with uh, the most, um, vineyards in the world in the city. It's 750 hectare under vines inside the city. And, um, and they cook fantastic. And, uh, yeah, I was, it looks like I was in the right place. So, um, the girls were nice. The food was good. The wine was good. So uh, it's so easy to say, but, I, I really, I learned, that, I learned in that city also, you know, art, the museums, mm-hmm. um, youth style, mm-hmm. um, all these kind of things. Um, uh, it actually, I had the biggest luck mm-hmm. to, to go, to, to end up there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, after I think a year latest, not even a year after half a year, uh, I said to myself, um, I'm so lucky and it's so fantastic. And I, and I love to go to the wine school there. And, uh, yeah, it was a gift at the end of the day. I mean, another gift to you, in a sense, was this link you've had with South Africa. And that's how I became aware of you, because you did your first overseas harvest, I think, at Delheim in South Africa. And you turned 21 there, didn't you? I mean, that, that must have been a pretty, a pretty turbulent time to be in South Africa, wasn't it? Yeah, the thing is, uh, 1900, uh, okay, we, we mustn't forget, we in Germany, we, we don't, or we might don't have this strong view or this focused view on Africa, like um, in England, the people, for example, because it's part of the British, it was part of the British Empire, it's part of the Commonwealth, South Africa, so there are strong relationships. When I came there in 1985, there was state of emergency, there was these riots in Soweto, where people were killed, um, there was tanks standing at the airport. Jesus Christ, that was quite uh, ex- uh, exciting. Mm-hmm. But in Stellenbosch, on the countryside, you felt nothing from it. Mm-hmm. But there was a change in the society. I mean, we mustn't forget that five years later, Nelson Mandela was really, uh, released out of prison. And by the way, I landed at the airport in Cape Town for my next job after I studied. I stayed two years in South Africa with Kopman's Glove Wine Estate. Uh, I landed on that day when Nelson Mandela was released out of prison. And that was... That was history. From Polsmore Prison in, in Franschhoek, yeah? 
Yeah, I know. In in um, Kopmansdorf is also in Stellenbosch. Yeah. But I, I landed exactly on that day. That was anyway a year uh, unbelievable because the German wall came down. Mm. Um, Nelson Mandela was released out of prison. Mm. And Germany became world soccer champion. And I, <laughs> I remember I, I that. that in Stellenbosch with all these Namibian students. And that was absolutely, uh, that was, uh, that was super. But the thing is, 1985, I was young. Uh, it was my first practical training. Um, it was uh, necessary with a study. We had to go, um, three months in a, in a winery to work there. And I had the chance, um, uh, over some relations over my parents with the Sperling family to go to South Africa. And that was very exciting. And, um, I fell in love with this country from, yeah. from the first second. But, but I must say, if you don't fall in love with South Africa, you don't have a heart. I mean, then you must be dead or something. I don't I ask you. I think that's very true. I agree with that. Yeah. And, uh, I'm still, uh, I'm still loving it. It's like a, also like a second home to me. I mean, and you work with two very famous people, Kevin Arnold, who was the cellar master of Delheim, and then yeah. Spatz Sperling, who was the owner of Delheim. And you learned, I think, a lot from those guys. And you're now working with his kids, aren't you, on a wine called Staying Alive Riesling. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah. yeah the thing is actually that, of course, this friendship was never, never dying or something like this. Uh, of course, you, uh, you don't see each other anymore so often. I, 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 I had to thank uh, Mr. Sperling a lot because he uh, organized me my second job after I started. Um, my study were finished. I said, okay, for a last harvest quickly to South Africa. And then it turned out to two years as a winemaker, top job at, at Kopmansklof. They have, they had 55 hectare, uh, 550 hectare, 550 hectare under vines. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a big responsibility. And, and, and I learned so much by doing, you understand what I'm trying to say? I've grown up there and that was really fantastic. And um, so um, I meet uh, the children now, um, uh, the children. I mean, uh, when I was there, uh, Nora Sperling was 16 and I was 20. And now we are uh, nearly uh, grandpa and grandma. And um, <laughs> we meet from time to time at several auctions here in Germany. She's having a lot of, uh, Denham has a lot of clients in Germany. So we meet on wine shows at the ProVine in Düsseldorf or wherever. And so, of course, uh, you know, you talk to each other and I said, oh, why don't we make something together and so, so on. And now that the new generation is taking the winery over, I have a little bit more time to go. Um, I had the opportunity. She asked me, hey, come over. Let's make a wine together. I said immediately, yes, fantastic. And um, it was so nice to go back to South Africa and really do something, not only talk about it. Um, uh, we... We bottled, and that is super, and uh, I'm loving it. It's a fantastic wine, but why staying alive? Why is it called staying alive? Uh, I'm a Bee Gees fan. That's the first thing. So, okay. I, I mean, I know this is a wine show here, but um, when you want to do yourself something good, uh, you have to see um, uh, um, Barry Gibb on the Glastonbury Festival uh, playing live. Um, um, uh, it's, it's so unbelievable. These people are going mad there. And, um, and the thing is, um, when Nora said, let's make a Riesling, uh, you, you must see the Riesling was in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, mm-hmm. a wine, the Rhine Riesling, the Weisser Riesling, the mm-hmm. classical Riesling was a wine, which was on the table in South Africa. It was grown there. 
And this wine was always off dry because the people thought this is the German style. It has to be some residual sugar in it. Yeah. It's in this off dry and it must have petrol after this petrol, this classical petrol tone, um, uh, after one or two years, like a diesel tank and uh, very old styled. And this grape variety, uh, grape variety, um, uh, totally went out of fashion. Mm-hmm. And now, in South Africa, we have 170 hectares. This is nothing under wines. Mm-hmm. And um, Delheim, with their um, big tradition of noble late harvest, mm-hmm. um, they have still the oldest blocks of uh, Rhine Riesling there um, and fantastic blocks uh, on a super soil. And so uh, it was uh, for me with Nora and the winery and all the people there, really a big pleasure to to bring new breath into this whole thing. Keep it alive. I like it. That's why I said we stayed alive. We are yeah. still there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, the old family wine estates. I mean, this is also something. When you go to South Africa, and uh, of course you see projects like Waterford or, or um, uh, um, Tokara, and this is, you know rich people coming, which is good that people invest into the wine industry. Yeah, who actually don't come from there. There, they make their money in the computer industry or wherever. But they give a lot of effort there inside. They the the, the whole um, market is grown. Then they build up top wineries and so on. But the old traditional family wine estates, they keep you know, the, the spirit. You understand what I'm trying to say? I do. And they, they, yeah. and they represent the whole heart of the whole place. And Delheim is still there. And like, or Simon Sich, you know, all these, these people. And we also, yeah, or the family De Waal, yeah. So, and, and we also, and this is, we are still alive. The Riesling is still alive. Our passion will not die. This fire will not go off. Yeah. So staying alive, the rhythm is nice of that song. Everything fits together. That's why I have chosen that name for that wine. And um, yeah, I think the people loving it. They do. It's a great wine. Um, 1991, you went back to the family winery to take over. Um, I just wonder, you know, what did you change? Did you change the styles? Did you change the packaging? You know, you all your wines now are under screw cap. Um, how quick were the changes? And was it easy to change given that your father presumably was still there as well, was he? Um, the first thing is in a, in a traditional winery, nothing is more stable than the change. Hmm. And um, every generation who comes up next to the old one wants to get out of that what the old ones had done. So they want to create their own thing because they make wine for their generation. I made wine for my generation. Mm. So um, it would be ridiculous now that I, with 60 years, try to make wine uh, which is sexy for people who are 28. Mm. This is ridiculous. Yeah. (laughs) So um, uh, I think Tinder is a chocolate bar. You you understand? So uh, I have no, they speak a totally different language than me. what I'm trying to say is at the end of the day, um, of course, I changed in the winery a lot. The style of the wines, the technique has changed. We had no cooling for just for that example. We didn't have, have any cooling for, for the fermentation. And with the cooling, that was a complete new step um, that we had the chance to put a lot of um, uh, grapes on the skins after harvesting for 24 hours, 36 hours, and so on. We didn't have that. Um, now we're having it, of course, or I, I brought that on the map. The, the the labels, of course, they don't look like 1950 anymore. I mean, uh, they look like they have been out of the Führerbunker, and, and now uh, it's, it's modern, and it's, you know. Yeah. So um, and 
And the thing is, we have a retro wave now again. So um, it's sometimes even funny to take the old labels again. <laughs> Put them um, back on again. The thing yeah. is um, that the new generation has to change the things. And that, and this is your responsibility hmm. of the older generation to step back. You still give them a hand. You still give them advice. Um You are allowed to say something. Uh, this is a free country. It's democratic. When I think this is shit what they're doing, then I tell them. But I, I said to them, listen, boys, you have done a perfect study at university. You have worked in Napa Valley and this and that. It would be ridiculous if I come now with my old knowledge yeah, mm -hmm. or older knowledge and tell you now what to do. Mm -hmm. By the way, we pumped a lot of money on your education. Now bring it back, please. <laughs> so, <laughs> I want to go to South Africa, you know, and uh, make a holiday. And have a rest. Yeah, listen to the so, Bee Gees. So the, no, but the thing is, they must create now their way. And if you come the whole time and you tell them what to do, they will get depressed. Um, mm -hmm. This is not a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, you must give them wind in the back that they can fly and not stop them or put brakes on them. Sorry, I, wonder, I was going to ask a little bit about the Pfalz, which is where you are. And then yeah. some people will know, obviously, that it's a German region. But a lot of people listening to the podcast won't have been there. Can, can you just tell us a bit about the climate and the soil types and, and, and yeah. the geography of the place? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the Pfalz region is um, 2000 years ago, so the Romans brought the, the wine to us. So we are a 2000 year old um, uh, wine region, which is located around about a hundred kilometers in the, in the, in the south of Frankfurt. So when you land in Frankfurt, you are in 50 minutes here. It's very close to the, to the French border, the Alsace region. So you have Strasbourg around the corner. We can go there for shopping. What we do, <laughs> come and bear, of course, we buy there. And, um, and uh, so this region is actually very, the, the, the Rhine Valley can become very, very hot in the, in the summer. Mm. So we faced in the last year's uh, temperatures over 40 degrees. Mm. Um, this is South Africa then a little mm. bit, but I have the knowledge how to handle hot climate. So it's okay, but it's still, of course, cool climate. Hmm. So the thing is, um, there is the climate change. Um, we are harvesting now mainly in September. We harvested when I was a child, in, mainly in October. So everything becomes earlier and this and that. Um, our soils are 99.99% is limestone. And because uh, it used to be a sea million years ago, the, the, the Rhine Valley was a sea, uh, yeah, And that's why limestone, sand also, sand, limestone, and loess. Hmm. Loess is also um, very, very much here. And especially in my door or around my door at the northern part of the, um, of the, of the Rhine Palatine wine route, there you find a lot of loess. And um, this, actually, then this uh, soils are very rich. So when you go near to the Rhine River, Then you have more loess and you have more sand. And when you go more up the, the, the hills on the side, then you have a lot of limestone also, very, very lot of limestone, um, because that was the beaches. It's a little bit like the white cliffs of Dover, you understand? Oh, so right. something, something like this. Yeah, yeah. So this is perfect for Riesling, of course. This is perfect for varietals which have a lot of aroma, like a, like a Sauvignon Blanc. Mm. And it's a perfect Pinot Noir place. 
certainly and, is. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about, about the influence of the mountain. There's a heart mountain. It's called the Heart Mountain, which is a continuation of the Vosges, isn't it? We, we, we call it mountains, but mm-hmm. people from Switzerland or Austria, they laugh themselves to death when they... Uh, <laughs> so because it's, it's let's, our highest mountain is 680 meters. Okay, for a British, that is already something. So, yeah? um, uh, but uh, 680. No, but uh, the thing is, of course that these slopes, let's call it a slope, in the, to the forest on the side. Um, uh, when I look out of the window, I look on a forest, and that forest called Hart is the biggest connected forest in whole Europe. Because wow. when I go into that forest and I go down south, I will end up at the Côte d'Azur, and I will be all the time in the forest. Because it goes into the Black Forest, then it goes into the Bourguesen, yeah, La Bourge, yeah, in France, and so on. So, and when you go towards that, 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 that let's say this, this, uh, this bigger hills, let's call it this, like 390 meters above sea level, 400 meters above sea level. Yeah, when you go up there, sandstone, uh, limestone, sand, they're um, wonderful. Um, then you have really perfect blocks, perfect blocks for Riesling, Pinot Noir. It's not Carbonet country. Um, Chardonnay, of course, loves it. It's a little bit like in every, like these valleys, like the Gironde or, or the Loire. Uh, this is very similar. And um, it's good for lots of styles of wine, isn't it? In I mean, a way. one thing is clear. If yeah. people would like to plant Riesling in the Loire Valley, it would be a super Riesling. But it's not traditional there. It's not a not a grape varietal, which is now there common. Nobody is planting it there, but it would be it would work. Bomb, yeah. yeah. So that's why also here Chardonnay loves this place. How many wines do you make? And I looked on your website, which is fantastic, by the way. It's it's a, it's a really entertaining site. I mean, how many different wines do you make, and how many of those are from from individual parcels? The, these sort of crew. Um, I have too much wines, far too much, uh, unfortunately. The thing is, what means unfortunately, this is uh, uh, the problem in Germany. Um, um, I, as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm always jealous on a winemaker in Bordeaux. They go to bed with one wine and they stand up with one wine with Chateau Latour finish and Gla. Um, here we have, uh, you know, the, the first thing is we have all these grape varieties. You have Riesling. Um, now, uh, Sauvignon Blanc is extremely popular in Germany, extremely popular, and it grows here perfectly. We have Chardonnay, we have Pinot Blanc. Uh, oh, Jesus Christ, what we all have. So, and Germans love this single varietal thing. So, um, uh, so when it comes to white wine, then you have a Chardonnay, you have a Riesling, you have that, and you have to have it. I mean, you can try to say I'm specializing myself uh, in a grape varietal. On the on the side, um, you must say. Um, uh, we have that wonderful soils for everything. Um, the market wants it. Uh, we are living from it. So why not? So we used to be here a pure red wine region until 1950. We produced only red wine. Then we started with Riesling and Silvana. Silvana um, is a very classical grape bridal here. Um, but now we have all these modern grape bridles. At the end of the day, uh, uh, to come a little bit quicker, perhaps to a question like that, you will ask me. The thing is that in Germany, um, uh, very, very extremely popular are the Burgundy style grape varietals like Pinot Gris. Pinot Gris is the most uh, sexy grape varietal in Germany, uh, what the people want. Uh, Pinot Gris, Pinot Blanc, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc and Rosé. This is extremely hip. And, and, and Pinot Noir, Spätburgunder, Pinot Noir as well, of course. 
Yeah. You know, Pinot Noir is a very intellectual grape varietal. Are we honest? It's not easy to, to, to drink. I mean, if you bring people to a table and you want to make a nice, easy evening, you have nice steaks in the pan and the people sit around the table and they are not wine freaks or wine experts. Normal, nice people, they enjoy a glass of wine. So what do you put on the table? You put Southern France on the table. You will not put Bourgogne on the table. It's much, it's expensive and it's very intellectual. Yeah. yeah? So, um, it's much more easier to drink nice, fresh, fru- mm. not, not fresh, but, but fruity uh, and, and, and soft wines from the south. Yeah. And this is here the same. I mean, your range has a bit of everything in it. You said you can't remember how many wines there are. but no, there like are around about 50. We have 50, 50, a little bit like 50 wines on the wine list, 50. Yeah, I mean, and I love the fact that you're not afraid of making commercial wines as well as top-end wines in the grossest Gavex. Do, do you take the same approach to both? Um, absolutely. I mean, I'm, uh, this, is what, uh, this is the holy thing, what you say now for me, because um, uh, it's for me unbelievable that I stand up in the morning and I go to the cellar and I say to my team, listen, today we make the everyday consumption wine. Shit, we don't have to put any effort in it. It's the normal cuck wine, come forget it, you know, for the people who have no knowledge. Oh, this wine is for the wine shows. Oh my God. Yeah, now we have to, don't talk too loud in the cellar and this kind of thing. Yeah, this is ridiculous because the people deserve a good wine. When they pay money, they deserve a good wine. And I'll tell you something. Dude, I don't drink every day a Grand Cru and I make a big monkey dance and, and, and a church service around every bottle. I come home in the evening. I make myself something nice to eat with my wife. The children are out of the house, so we are um, happy now. <laughs> so everything is freedom and peace. And um, we open up a bottle of wine, which is around about six euros, seven euros, eight euros. And this is what I drink 99%. Mm. And then you make yourself something nice to eat. And, 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 and the life is wonderful. Who can afford every, every day a bottle for 25 euros not, or something? It's ridiculous. Not, not many people. Tell us a little bit about your, one of the things you've done, which is amazing, which is your sort of Riesling revival. Uh, it's, sorry, it's your, it's your Liebfraumusch revival project. Yeah. You make these two Liebfraumuschs, don't you, called White Madonna and Black Madonna. I mean, I love the fact that Liebfraumusch, which lots of people think, oh, God, it's terrible, it's cheap, it's sweet, it's basic. Absolutely. You've said it's not. It's got a history, right? Yeah, the thing is, um, actually, I never produced uh, in the in the former times uh, Liebfraumnick. It was for me a cheap export wine, sweet, cheap, uh, uh, produced like toast bread, uh, industrial, without love, and so on. I knew, of course, we all knew this here, and also a lot of people in England, uh, that this wine had a big history. Um, it started 300 years ago, but I go a little bit now. For, okay, when you go on www.liebfraumilk.de, then you see the whole story. Also in English, I, I, I opened my uh, my heart for this uh, for this site, uh, put a lot of money in it because, um, okay, but the thing is, Six years ago, I sat with a cup of coffee after, um, after, after, after lunch and I was surfing a little bit in the internet and I came to this Lipramnik story and I said, Oh, and I, and then I read one sentence, one sentence and I stood in flames, in flames because this sentence said, uh, this is wine law. Okay. It's law. A Lipram milk must have a minimum of residual sugar of 18 grams a liter. And the wines you get on the shelf, they have 60 or 70 grams per liter. And I thought 
that this wine has to be sweet. And everybody told me, oh, this fucked up, cheap, sticky, sweet bullshit. Yeah. For, for people who have no knowledge about wine, they drink it like lemonade. And now I saw, wait, it mustn't be sweet at all. 18 grams is, is off dry. It's got nothing to do with sweet. Far away from it, especially when it's Riesling driven with the acidity and so on. And now, and this is a very important fact. The Liebfraumilk is the mother of the wines in Germany. It used to be the wine who put Germany on the map. It was the favorite wine of Queen Victoria. She was married to, um, to um, Albert of Sachsen, Coburg Sachsen. So everything on the yard at that time from Germany was hip. And this wine, she loved it. The German emperor, Wilhelm II, who was a grandchild of her, uh, drank this in Berlin. It was on the Hindenburg. It was on the Titanic first class. This was a, a wine which was 1910 as expensive as Chateau Latour or Chateau Margaux or Boulanger Champagne and so on. And we fucked this wine completely <laughs> up after Second World War because this wine had this unique, let's say, off-dry, super-balanced taste and lots of mouthfeel with relatively low alcohol, yeah, 11, 11 and a half. And we fucked it up because the Americans and the British were mad about this wine and because of this unique taste. And, and then they, the Germans imported or exported hundreds of millions of bottles and they made it sweeter and sweeter that also non-wine drinkers start to drink it. And of course, the price went down. It was a, we tipped over with our ass what we built up with our heads over generations. This is what happened. And the reputation of this wine was totally fucked up. And when, when I read this sentence that it mustn't be sweet and that I have the opportunity to make this wine with the same love and spirit, this unique taste wine with the same love and the same spirit, what this made this wine great long time ago and what this wine made him so, so, so famous at the court of Queen Victoria and uh, it, the best hotels the, 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 in the world and, and the Orient Express and first class super, then I will do it. Of course, everybody said, you are, uh, what are you smoking? Yeah. Um, Jesus Christ. <laughs> now, nobody, well, it's a dead horse. And I said, no, 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 no. Um, it's original. It's actually the yeah. mother of the wine. Of course, we are doing here a top Chardonnay in Barrique and so on. But this is not authentic. This is an authentic thing. And, um, yeah, so I did it. Everybody said, oh, this is a, not a very good idea. Uh, whatever. Um, I started well, it. And now left, I'm yeah. doing 100,000 bottles a year. Um, uh, it's, 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 I, I'm with my Black Madonna, which is the top of this range. It's, it's, it's really wine. I treat it really like a child. It's, I, 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 I take it in my arms. It's, it's a wine which is made from 40 to 70 year old wines. It lies for two years in, in, in big old traditional oak vets on the lease and so on. This wine is listed in, in Michelin star restaurants. Because it's the best wine to sushi and sashimi, so it's it's great and it's a wonderful taste. I think it's a great it's a it's a great story, isn't it? Let's let's talk a little bit about Riesling because I think the Pfalz is the region which has the largest plantings of Riesling in Germany. Are, are, are most of the styles dry? Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, the sweet Rieslings made German 
Germany, let's say, very, very famous uh, um, during uh, the 19th century, the 20th century. Yeah, um, of course. But now it's dry, but it's it's uh, 99% is dry. Let's say 90% is dry, or 95% at least is dry. Um, and are your best wines Rieslings, would you say? Yeah. yeah uh, the best wine is, I always say, the best wine is what the people like most and um, what they like. So um, when I do a wine tasting, then I always say to the people, listen, the best wine, and I can talk to you now until I'm blue in my face mm-hmm. and I'm the best wine expert in the world and whatever. The best wine in the world is what you like most and I don't care where you bought it and what it costs. Um, if you are happy with that wine, I'm happy as well. So uh, that's the first thing. Uh, but the best wine... I would say for me personally, my best one is the Black Madonna. And the the young people would say here uh, who take now over is it's our top block Riesling because they are sometimes more conservative than the old man. It's also funny. <laughs> so and what's your top are, block? Yeah. What's your most famous block of Riesling? Yeah, it's the Mandelpfad, the the Mandelpfad, the almond path. It's called. We have um, twenty thousand almond trees standing outside, twenty thousand and uh, twenty five thousand fig trees. As I told you, we are very hot in summer here. It's 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 uh, it's wonderful. You think you are in southern Italy, and uh, we have a long summer, and uh, that's why we have peaches, we have apricots. That's normal. We are very Mediterranean here, and uh, but it's a continental climate. And uh, this block uh, has really a perfect soil. My grandfather uh, rented that block. It's not mine. It's uh, rented from the church. It belongs to the church. Um, but we have it uh, uh, as a contract for nearly 100 years. And um, yeah, so this block is top. And this one is um, uh, a Riesling, which is made, let's say, in the style of Passaman Jordan. Passaman Jordan is a very famous winery in Germany. And one of the three Bs, the three Bs of the Fouts, right? Yeah. Yeah, my, ne- my nephew worked there, yeah. uh, who is now, the, let's say, the boss in the cellar, the young man. With uh, I also employed two friends of, of him from the university. And these three guys are running, rocking now the cellar here. And uh, I'm the most happiest man in the world. And for them, it's a holy place. Uh, they, they love it. I must say, I am a Sauvignon Blanc maniac. I can say that I, I love seafood bladders and uh, grilled fish, lemon garlic butter and an ice cold Sauvignon Blanc. No salad, no bread, just the fish and the wine and lots of it. Yeah, and then right. I'm happy. You're making me feel hungry. I mean, you, you've got this wine. <laughs> you've got this wine tavern, haven't you? you? You know, you're very big on inner tourism, and I like your idea that the the best wine is the is the wine that people like most. The yeah. website is all important. Do you think that a lot of wineries don't realise how important it is to keep in contact with consumers and to sell your wine to persuade them to follow you on a journey? Yeah, um, I don't know. I think that now all the wineries are very very professional. The young people they study. Okay, in two thousand years of of wine. Um, history in Germany, but also in France or go to Italy or wherever you go. Yeah. Um, the people never had a better education at the wine universities and at the wine school. And we mustn't forget to become a farmer and to take that risk is nothing for everybody, especially in these times where the people are dreaming of home office and four days work in, in, in a week and this kind of thing here in Germany, because this is seven days a week. And you can't make wine or agriculture in the home office. It's not possible. And 
when your vine is saying, I have to be pruned, then you have to go out. If you're ill or whatever, uh, you know, nature is ruling you. So not everybody wants it. So, of course, the farm the, uh, become less. We become less vintners, less farmers uh, everywhere in Europe. Um, um, the farms become bigger mm. and more professional. And um, uh, there were there had been never in history more professionality as today, and more also let's say advertising or this kind or or, or social media. I mean, since long we we have social media, so now they are trained in that. Um, they, for them, it's normal to be at at, at TikTok and and Facebook and and, and and Instagram and all this kind of thing. So um, that's normal. Um, I must say, um, it's nice to see for me. I, I'm very happy. Um, uh, I'm not looking only on my wine estate. I'm looking around uh, everywhere. And, and the more prof professional wine estates we have, the better it is for the whole industry. Mm. And it was not, not never better than in these days. I think there is no bad wine anymore. Mm. It's only a wine perhaps you don't like or the other ones don't like. But really bad wines? No, I don't think so. Um, become very, very less. And um, uh, the quality was never better and, and never in history more affordable. Mm -hmm. We mustn't forget who could afford 1960 or 1910 or 1890 a bottle of wine on the table. Yeah. So now you can go to the discount and you buy one for uh, €2.99 and you will not die if you drink it. Yeah. <laughs> so what I'm trying to say is um, it, it's affordable and for five, six, seven euros, for seven euros, you get yeah. a decent bottle of wine yeah. in, in Germany. Of course. Yeah. In the, in the it's, it, I wish it were the same in England. <laughs> We've got a problem, <laughs> problem with taxation, really. Oh, the taxation. Oh, oh man. So, you know. yeah, so that's another podcast on its own. No, that's, just, just, that's a hundred podcasts. Exactly. Yeah. Listen, yeah. final question. What are your yeah. interests outside wine? I know you like going to South Africa to be involved with Delheim. How else do you get away from the day job? Do you need to get away from the day job or is it... Is it all consuming, as we say in English? Uh, actually, I must say, um, I, I think I end with a start. Um, this wine, in the to be in the wine industry is extremely complex. Mm. So, just to give you an idea, uh, I have um, I go now to Vienna. So, when we finish here with the podcast, I will go into my car and I drive to Vienna to the um, uh, uh, to the Austrian wine competition. We won a prize there. I will be there in the town hall uh, on, on Thursday for people wine. 3,000 people are coming, 3,000, yeah, with other wineries, other prize winners. So I meet a lot of people there. We will have big fun. We will eat a lot. We will be drunk. It will be wonderful. The next thing is, I'm then I'm in Berlin on the German television prize. Um, um, I will meet all the actors there, the, the, um, uh, the, 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 the film people. So then you are on concerts because you're sponsoring here or sponsoring there. You meet so many people. It's so colorful. And uh, I must say, when I go uh, for a holiday somewhere, it's, it's very, very often into wine regions. There is a lot of culture. The kitchen is wonderful. The, the, the weather is wonderful. Um, uh, I'm, I'm now, I'm, I'm older and I'm real, more relaxed. And, uh, you know, so I can really, I enjoy the, the wine industry and it's not for me only, I have to make my fortune there and this and that. Yeah. So let's open a bottle. <laughs> hey, there are some olives on the table, nice people around. 
Hey, what, what should I expect more from life? It's it, it, wonderful. I think that's a fantastic note on which to end. Listen, Christoph, it's been amazing talking to you. Your passion is just so infectious and wine. I love the labels. I love all the projects. You know, what you've done with Lee Farrell It's obvious that you're having fun. And I'm glad you didn't become an actor, but instead <laughs> you became a winemaker. Thanks again for being on the podcast. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. What a character. The wine world needs more people like Christoph. Next week on Cork Talk, my guest is Larry Cherubino from Larry Cherubino Wines in Western Australia. Join me then. Thanks for listening to Cork Talk. If you want to read more reports, articles and tasting notes by me, go to my website, timatkin.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Tim Atkin, and on Instagram, at Tim Atkin MW. See you next week.